This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. The old city of Jerusalem, at Asia Torah, overlooking the Western Wall. Uh, welcome, and uh, please subscribe and click and hit all the bells and whistles, share, make it happen. Join the media club as well, and get these talks out there. Uh, we're, we're pushing on the media club and ready to. we're just about ready to hire our second person. We've got new equipment. I hope you're enjoying the sound. Those are on their commute to hear better because we heard that on people's commute they couldn't hear so well. So we're working on that. Um, we're coming up to Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is in um, uh, about a week. Like a week from today will be what's today? Is today Mon- Monday? Week from today will be in the in Rosh Hashanah, and a lot of people dread Rosh Hashanah, and a lot of people have uh, kind of a not the best approach to it. And so I'd like for us to heal our approach to Rosh Hashanah. Um, the reason you're listening to this class right now is because is because you're interested in spirituality. There's no other reason that you'd be sitting in this class or you'd be watching it online. And it's only because you're, you're interested in spirituality. So you should be so excited for Rosh Hashanah because we're going to have two days totally dedicated to what you're interested in. You know, like, for example, I'm also interested in things like surfing, and if someone told me I have two days of surfing next week, in perfect waves, and perfect conditions, and everything's going to be exactly where I love it, so I'm going to be excited about that now. Now my excitement is strong for, for that. But I found that people interested in spirituality aren't that excited about their two days of surfing next week on Rosh Hashanah. So it must be that there's something wrong with the way you're thinking about Rosh Hashanah given that you are interested in spirituality, otherwise, again, you wouldn't be here right now, and, 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 you know, and that Rosh Hashanah is about spirituality, so, like, it's right up your alley, you know, it's an amazing freebie day of pure spirit, you know, I, I think a lot of us aren't really, those of us, those of us who are interested in spirituality are kind of, and we're not, we're not so excited about even having a body and responsibilities and stuff. Like I, I think a lot of people who are who are tend towards spirituality consider paying bills a hassle. The fact they're going to have to work is a hassle. Like there's some people just want to go out there and work and afford all kinds of nice things, and they're usually not that interested in spirituality. And people more interested in spirituality aren't that excited about work. They're not so excited about all the fiscal uh, responsibilities that come up. And here we got two days of pure spirituality where there will be no concerns whatsoever of our physical well-being. And those things obviously are covered by, by you know, luxurious means. And unless you have something against, you know, wearing your finest clothes and eating delicious food, you know, I don't know too many people who are not upset about that. I mean, people pay top dollar to eat meals like that in restaurants. So, like, what's the big deal? Rosh Hashanah, like the only time you're breaking from pure spirituality is you're going to be sitting at, you know, meals that like, that Gentiles might save up for months just to, just to be able to throw a Thanksgiving dinner. And we're going to be having, uh, we're going to be having four of those meals. All of this coming right off of Shabbos. So it'll be, you know, Shabbos having two of those meals. And then we'll have Sunday to get prepared for Rosh Hashanah. And then we're just going to do it all over again with partying with people we love, you know, and, and uh, eating delicious food, and, and that's like, 
That's no brainer. I think so. Let's talk about what people are worried about. Yeah, you know what? I'll let you guys throw it out. What y'all worried about? So I could come up with one right away, and that's uh, time in synagogue. I don't know how to spell that. Is that how you spell synagogue? Yeah. Okay. Very good. Um, okay. Time in synagogue. Right? Ain't nobody got time for that. You know? Uh, what else What else bothers us about Rosh Hashanah? If you have hearing aids, maybe the shofar can cause feedback. It's all day, except for the meals. We break for the meals. It's really long. But if you're you're lucky if you're anywhere near an Asia Torah or a Chabad, which are user friendly, meaning meaning if you don't know if you don't know Jack about how to do this, so they'll have like classes on the in a side room. Asia Torah will have classes going the whole day on the side about Rosh Hashanah, and and you also have, they'll be user friendly with English and page numbers and all that. And, and you know, I would say. I would say one of my highest moments on Rosh Hashanah was actually walking around the Jewish quarter with some dude with long blonde hair. That was like my moment. That was my moment where he he says to me, he says to me, "So you're gonna you're like in on this whole Judaism Torah thing?" And I said, "Yeah, I'm in. I'm going for it." You know, I'm going all the way. Now, I didn't know what I was doing at the time. I could barely read Hebrew. I didn't know much of Jewish law at all, almost nothing. I knew you don't touch girls. Yeah? And uh, that was like the most important law that seemed to be of concern. And the uh, and then, um, but besides that, I didn't know much else. But this this guy says to me, we're just taking a walk because we couldn't like sit in synagogue any longer. And he said, are you in? And I was like, I'm in. I'm like, are you in? And his long blonde haired dude. Like, I'm in. I think that was our Rosh Hashanah. That was when we like dedicated our hearts to God, like on Rosh Hashanah, and, and that was like that was the, that's what it was really kind of all about. Was like, are we going to be dedicated like that? And now, normally that should happen in synagogue because it was designed to take place in synagogue that you get that dedicated. But the for us, it happened in the middle of the street, so. Don't overrate it. Don't overrate the synagogue time. There could be some powerful conversation that's going to happen somewhere nearby the synagogue. Could be the one. And the both of us today are, are fully observant. He became a doctor. Cut his hair. He became a doctor. And, uh, and he's still a special, dedicated Jew. I think he lives in Florida, though he's from South Africa. And, uh, and I became, you know, just kind of crazy. Okay, what else bothers us about Rosh Hashanah? Huh? What else bothers us? Some problems with honey? Too much honey? What? Okay, so, uh, uh, excellent. Uh, and this goes for people with the language as well. They don't understand. Yeah. Don't understand the prayers. Um. Don't, yeah, why two days? That's also crazy. I mean, let's say you didn't enjoy the first day. <laughs> like you're like, we're going to do this again? 
Yeah, you know, like, what's that? Yeah, two days or something, and the same thing. It's like we're not, we're not, we're not. There's not gonna be a lot. We're not gonna shift it around too much. Yeah. Yeah, so you got to figure it Right, right. You got to you got to figure that out. I don't know. Jeff Seidel still sets people up. So you have Jeff Seidel, he helps people get meals. Get on it like now and like start finding out who to talk to and it sounds like Jeff Seidel is one of those people and you can look him up in the back there. And uh, and uh, and I'm sure there's other people that get set up with as well. Yeah. What bothers you guys? No? What bothers you about Russia? I think you're talking about Yom Kippur. <laughs> Wrong holiday. Yeah. That c- that's coming later. Oh, yeah. The fear factor. Excellent. I think this is number one for most people. There's a fear factor, uh, meaning uh, 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 your, your year is decided by God. Your year is being decided by God. I think a lot of people don't like that part. Very much. The, 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 that your life's in the balance on that day. I think people are, have a negative uh, relationship with that. Well, i uh, scared. It's hard to be looking forward to things we're scared of. So, true, maybe. Okay, any other issues with Rosh Hashanah? Anyone else got a problem? What's your problem, man? Yeah. Okay, it's low tech. Low tech. Uh, Judaism always has these low tech days. Uh, bikes are out on Shabbat. No bikes. Kids are. Surfing's a problem. You can body surf as long as you're having a mikvah each time. You make your mikvah and then decide you're going to the beach. So you can take a wave in. And then you could decide you want to go have another mikvah. And paddle back out. Have I done that? Maybe once or twice. I mean, how many times can you pretend you're going to have another mikvah until you realize you're just body surfing, you know? So, I, I think I made it out. Maybe the third time I realized that this is ridiculous. Like, just be honest, you're, you're out here to ride these waves. So, anyway, but there's a problem with carrying the board a little bit, like moving the board outside it, because you don't have an A-roof to move stuff. A-roof is a partition that encloses an area that allows you to move things from one place to another. You know, you can't move something from one place to another. More than like about six feet uh, outside a, outside an enclosed space. Well, once you're riding it, you're the guy moving it. I don't know if riding it is riding carrying it. Well, you're, no, but you're the one transporting it. Yeah, riding. You're the one transporting The board's not going to do it without you. The main thing is you're transporting it. Yeah, that, that would be the issue. And, um, yeah, surfing is a bit of an issue in Shabbat. 
Yeah. I've never surfed on the ship. I mean, since I found out you weren't supposed to anyway. What? It's a major sacrifice. And I feel like God sometimes tries to, like, make my reward higher by picking the waves up on Shabbat. There's been many times I've waited all week for waves, and the forecast says only on Shabbat there will be waves. And then I wake up in the morning, I look, and it's like perfect wave. And then Sunday morning comes, there's no waves. Yeah. I think God wants me to get my hell on earth. Because that is, that is the definition of hell for a surf, for a, an, an observant surf. Of course, all the observant guys are out there, so. Sorry, all the secular, secular Jewish people you know, can't be bothered with such rules. So like, here I am, like doing the right thing and suffering while they're doing the wrong thing and enjoying it, which is, which is really amazing in general, is why do good things happen to bad people? Um, well, I had just said it before, is that, uh, is that some people get the reward in this world. The question is, you want a temporary reward or you want an eternal reward? You want a reward that, that is of spiritual nature, which means beyond time, or do you want a reward that's purely temporal? So, I, I don't mind getting good stuff in this world, but I like to, the, like the main reward for choices. Now, it also brings up how we know there's a God. You know, how, how we know there's a God is because, one of the many ways, but one of the ways is that, is that the, all of us have a sense of right and wrong inside our, it's built in us. And we have, uh, and we have choices we make. Some are for the good and some are for the bad. But there doesn't seem to be any reward or punishment one way or the other. You understand? It's not like you're going to like turn off a light on Shabbat and die. You don't get killed for that. And you're going to turn off a light and you're going to still be alive. You're going to turn it back on and you're still alive. And after a while you can do like a strobe effect. You're still there. And so, so, well, what's going on here? Because some being put conscience inside us. It's not understood. The animals don't have it. It's certainly not evolutionary in any way. You could never describe where it came from, yet every human being has conscience. Well, where'd that come from? And then I see that there's no, there's no direct relationship to you utilizing that which was given, i.e. the conscience. You were given conscience. And there doesn't seem to be any reward or punishment based on that conscience. That's so clear. You don't see it. So we have this mysterious thing called conscience with no consequence to the use of it. <laughs> What's that all about? So the answer is, is that there must be a next world. So that was more of a proof of the next world. But that's why you, there must be a next world. It must be you're inside some kind of testing ground system down here. Because otherwise you realize nothing makes sense. Why were you given a conscience if not to listen to it? Yet the people who ignore it don't seem to have paid any price for that. So it must be that we're on the other side of some strange board game. That the pieces, you know, go underneath the board somehow. And we're, we're like digging some kind of tunnels under there. And you only get to see them at the end of the game. You only get to see what you did later. Raise your hand if you followed that proof of, of the next world. 
two people, three people. Uh, let's try that again, please, because I really, when I take a poll, it's like whether I'll ever say that again. Okay. Yeah, I saw you were losing it. Um, raise your hand if you were able to follow that proof of there being a next world. No. Um, that was an analogy I used at the end. Um, okay. So about half of you. Uh, it makes me want to get it, say it more clearly. And those of you who raised your hand, is it? have you ever heard a proof of the next world like that before? You like that? It's pretty compelling, right? Can't mess with that one too much. It's hard to argue that one. What's funny about it is on the in the intellectual argument circles, you know, the, like the, where the debates happen online and podcasts, YouTube and stuff, that the um, they they love arguing. The believers love arguing against the atheists about conscious about the conscious because it's just not explainable. Of course, the the atheists are always in trouble trying to explain that. It's just really hard to explain. It just doesn't make any evolutionary sense. But they, they do their best. But no one takes it to the next level to, to discuss the fact that, well, once you say it's there, there's automatically a next world. They don't even discuss that. But once you say there's a conscience, you're automatically dealing with the next world. Because even the atheists, well, the, the atheist's answer usually is that, is that, you know, if they can somehow figure out how evolutionary force has caused a conscience, which is ridiculous, but let's just say they could pull it off, that it did cause a conscience. So then, then how could it be that 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 thing that we evolved for doesn't matter because nothing ever, no consequences. You understand? How could it be the thing we evolved for doesn't matter? Show me one thing in evolution that didn't matter. You understand? Things have to matter. Yet you see people with that conscience don't seem to get rewarded or punished. So, so what are they, so what are they talking about? You know, if the second they say there's an evolutionary source for conscience, they automatically have to say now that there's a next world after we die, which is like evolutionists are sorry, uh, evolution atheists, materialists. They don't believe in that, so it's like you understand what a pickle they get themselves in. They're in a total pretzel, and they can't get out of the discussion of conscience. You just can't. You can't avoid it. Everyone has it. They have it. We all have it. No matter where you go, every human being has it, and it's our, according to evolution, is our closest, you know, ancestor would be a primate, and they don't have it. You know, they, the uh, uh, chimpanzees have no conscience. That's why they're behind cages. You understand? They, they, if you go into a chimpanzee's cage, yeah. You would be, you'd be in about a hundred pieces, literally. They're they're like they're like, I don't know what their strength is compared to human strength, but it's like, yeah, it's like five to ten times, and maybe hundred times. I forget how many times. They they know how many times. It's like way stronger, and and with their with their hands and their grip, they actually tear enemies from limb to limb and leave them in a million pieces. That's why they're behind cages. I mean, if they're so close to us, just let them roam the zoo with us. No, they those cute little those cute little chimpanzees would rip you to shreds if they felt you were a threat to their environment in their cage over there, and you would be. 
because just, people aren't hanging around in there. Obviously, if you raise a baby chimp and domesticate it properly, you're going to be pretty safe. Be pretty safe because they're they're pretty advanced, but no conscience. That's for sure. Definitely no conscience. And, and what is it to raise a chimp that doesn't tear you limb to limb, limb from limb? Is that well, it never felt threatened. It, it probably thinks it's a human. It probably thinks it's just got lower IQ or something. It, it doesn't feel chimp-like when it, all it's seen is human beings. And we've even had cases of, of vicious animals that have raised humans. I think even a wolf, a pack of wolves, raised a human. And uh, they, they, they never felt threatened. It was an infant. There was no threat. And so I waste your energy with tearing it to pieces. Okay. <laughs> Back to Rosh Hashanah. So, so first of all, um, time in synagogue is we've got we've got to switch our heads around. That while you'll be in synagogue on Rosh Hashanah, you are going to be doing intense meditation the entire time. Very intense meditation. Uh, raise your hands, anyone who's done intense meditation. Anyone done intense meditation, like hours and hours of meditation at once. Okay, so one of you, you're gonna love Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> you like Rosh? You probably like Rosh Hashanah. You like Rosh Hashanah? Oh, it's you over here, the fear factor, where your year is decided. Yeah. Uh huh. Well, anyway, so we're gonna talk about that. In a minute. Um, one of your problems is is that you're not used to sitting one seat for hours and hours and hours. And hours. You know, like listening to someone saying all this kabbalistic stuff you don't understand. You know, and, and repeating in certain places that words you don't understand. But if you just go in there even not understanding, with a dedication of an entire day's meditation, broken up by meals, that you could probably look forward to. I mean, people like you fly to India and like learn to meditate all day. Like, like what's the big deal? You get to you get to do that here without a flight. You don't even have to fly anywhere. Don't deal with customs. Don't deal with bag. Don't have to. Deal. You know, you don't have to bring extra clothes for a week. You know, you're just, just two days. You're just what? Well, when you get in there, you're going to do deep breathing. You're going to have your eyes closed most of the time, and especially when the leader is going to be praying. You're going to sit with perfect posture, preferably on the edge of your seat, and uh, so you can take a little weight off your spine by putting your feet firmly on the ground in front of you. And you'll be doing deep breathing and focusing on the breaths and on the words and the melodies that you'll be hearing. And your and your your main job, I guess, on Rosh Hashanah is to is to dedicate all of your faculties to God to be the king over them. Like, think about it. Who's been the king over your eyes this year? Meaning, what you'll look at. Who's been the king over your eyes? You or God? You've been a king over your eyes. Okay, so that's one meditation for sure. You can do a whole eye meditation. And how about what you'll listen to? Like, for example, there's movies that have pretty violent, uh, you know, kind of curse words, very rough speech. And there's also music that way. And also people will gossip about others. And people will, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. We hear a lot of stuff. So you just hear whatever the hell you want. Or are your ears dedicated to God? 
What do you say about your ears? Yours are God's. Yours. Okay. And then there's your your um, food intake. Do you ever stop and think like what would be right for the body temple that houses your soul, or do you just eat whatever happens to taste good? You know, like whatever's in the doorway. You know, doorways your mouth, obviously, but it, the actual house that the food hangs out in for 24 hours is the body. You know, so have you been like overly focused on the doorway? You know, do you hang around the doorway too much and uh, just eating whatever you want, but your body's just kind of becoming a, a dumpster? And uh, and the other thing is, uh, Judaism has serious dietary laws, and, and you know, the, those require some study and. And, uh, I mean, that obviously you can just make sure everything has a kosher certificate. But you also have to be careful milk and meat. Even if they're kosher, you've got to separate those. There's a lot involved with it. So whose mouth has this been? Who's been the king over your mouth? You or God? Then there's your, um, then your, there's your speech. Back to the mouth. We don't just eat with this mouth. We speak with the mouth. And, you know... Have you raised your voice inappropriately? Have you used words inappropriately? Have you, you know, like that? That's also amazing meditation of, of dedicating your, your your speech to God. You can everything is speech. And you see the whole creation. It's like God's saying this, and there it is, and God's saying that, and there it is, and and uh, you know, blessed is He who spoke and created the world. Like speech is is, you know, what took chaos into order. You know, there was total chaos. That's what the Torah says, there was total chaos. And then God starts speaking and order comes into existence. And think about your life, like how much speech you use to, to somehow push out some chaos from yourself. You use a lot of speech for that. To create some kind of order in your life, you use a lot of speech for that. And if you choose not to speak much, you probably have a lot of chaos in your life. You've been taught to articulate yourself in ways that create order, just like God. Which is exactly what God said, is He's going to create us in His image. And He creates order from speech, and we create order from speech. That's how you're here right now. Is, you know, someone asked me to speak, and someone spoke to me and asked if I would teach this class, which has been going on for decades. And, and here I am still, all from that one request. And I said something to my wife under a chuppah, under a canopy one day. And here we are, 20, this is, we're coming up after Sukkot's our 25th anniversary. With all these kids, you know, we're making weddings, and it's like, it's all speech. So, how dedicated is your speech? I mean, you know with speech you can build worlds. With speech you can destroy them. A, uh, believe me, a lot of words were said that caused those twin towers to fall in 9-11. Much more speech was said to build it. It's easier to take it down than to build it. But, but your speech can build greatness and your speech can be a destructive thing. And it, but if you, uh, if you were to use one of the meditation of dedicating your speech to God, your, your life's going to get better. Always. Which is amazing. Like, it's nice to know you have one key to for sure have your life get better and better. How would you like it if your life just got better and better? How cool would that be? Your life got better and better? When you, would you all like that? Your life would get better and better? So, there's, uh, speak positively. 
if you have a way to create order around chaos. Does chaos make life better or worse? No, that was a trick question, sorry. Okay, <laughs> it was a total trick question. Now, chaos is how you make life better, but you make it better by first creating a little, you know, chaos. But, uh, you know, you, you push out of the givens and the knowns of order, take some risks, you push out the order of, wor of the world into some chaos, and then you build that into your new order until you do it again. That's how people invest in making money. Right? Investing more makes more chaos, but then you turn that into the new order and you make much more. And the same thing in a relationship. How many of us introduce chaos into our relationship? <laughs> but aren't we much more bonded after, afterwards? So, so everything works like that. The guy works out his muscles. His, you know, his, you know, you're ripping the muscles. Is, is that order or chaos for the muscles? Total chaos. You, know, you just ripped it. And what good was that? The answer is that it'll rebuild bigger. You know? And so it was a lot of good, especially when you're helping me build my sukkah, which is uh, which is going to be built on Tuesday. When are we done with the? Ho When's the holiday over? Monday night and Tuesday, we're in. Tuesday night and Wednesday, we're in. Thursday. Thursday sukkah building. Any volunteers? Anyone want to help build the sukkah? It's a lot of schlepping. Yeah? Two volunteers? Thank you. Any other volunteers? Two guys? You're not around? Oh, thank you. That's three volunteers. Amazing. Um, we live in a neighborhood where the only thing is that you need to either borrow from me or bring uh, uh, pan like pants. It's not a shorts neighborhood. It's a full Yiddish-speaking fiddler on the roof scene. Okay, see, so I'll, I'll, I'll keep out, I'm going to have like a stack of old clothes to put on people when they come to build the circuit. I get these guys, you know, it's hot out, we're fa it's a fast day too, it ends with pizza and beer, man. And, uh, and these guys, these guys just like take their shirt off to like, you know, really get into the building and I'm like, can you put your shirt back on please? Right, right, dude, shirt's off here. Anyway, the, um. Um, by the way, I'm counting on you three for Thursday. Counting you three for Thursday. Yeah. I don't think we have classes anyway in the afternoon. Sicker building is really. I think we started one. One. Okay. Um, What did we do? We did the ears, we did the mouth, we did the eyes. Smell, I brought I brought incense today, so I think we better smell it. Since I got it. And we're talking about the senses. Anyway, so this is a sense, total godly sense, smell. And this is, uh, what I'm burning now is called Livona, or frankincense. This was one of the main ingredients in the, in the temple. There were 11 spices, some of which with the biggest ingredients, and this was a part of the, that group. You'll smell it in a sec, because the air conditioner is going to bring to everybody. Otherwise, I would have to walk around the room. But I love burn I hate air conditioners, but I love them when I'm burning incense. Because they really circulate. You smell it yet? You guys smell it already? You smell it yet? It'll come. So this is used in meditation. 
Got it yet? You got it already the way back there? <laughs> It'll come. It's gonna come. It's gonna come. Now I shouldn't have mentioned the air conditioning. No, it's no, it's like I hear it in my ears. Um still don't smell it. He's not you get smell it? It's not. It'll come around. It'll come around. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the goyim. Uh, sorry, the goyim. Did I say the goyim? Yeah, you're not supposed to say that in essentials. It's part of our rules. I think the Christians burn frankincense. Yeah, but you but you gotta you gotta like. I, I agree with you, by the way. Not that I ever went to church, but I I, I sense it's too sweet for Jewish smells. But it's actually one of the main ingredients, which is probably why they burn it, because Christianity was a takeoff on Temple Judaism. Think about it. It's got priests. We had priests. It's got a, you know this centralized service. We had it centralized in Jerusalem. They have it in a church. It's got a, you know, it's got people in funky outfits and stuff. We had people in funky outfits. Um, it had um, incense. I mentioned. Yeah, and it had music. You know, there's like church music and stuff. We had a gigantic band playing over there, and so it's like, it's it's really just a takeoff on Temple Judaism, and uh, and Islam, which showed up like 700 years later, is a takeoff on synagogue Judaism, non-centralized prayer, no pre. You just got it. Yeah, non-centralized prayer. You know, you see guys, uh, no priesthood, everyone's a practitioner, multiple prayers a day. You understand, like, they're, they're just a takeoff on synagogue Judaism. It's a bit of a ripoff, you know, like, and Christians at least, you know, get to have this, like, cool service going on. You know, Muslims are just kind of like, it's always like, bowing down. They don't get to have, like, people in funky outfits with incense and stuff. And we're like totally ripped off because I don't even know what we have at this point. But what, but what we what we do have is supposed to be really, 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 really special. Which let's get back to the special. So um, anyway, uh, the last thing is dedicating to God your your um, your reproductive organs. Dedicating to God your reproductive organs, which is two things. Mainly, it's to not use them till till marriage and. And uh, that's that's uh, for sure dedicating to God your body, and that's why the covenant's where it is. And the circumcision is there because that's we dedicate that to God. What what age is uh, circumcision in Judaism? No, it's actually when you have your first sexual thought. That's the, that's the age. Uh, it's not that old for most people these days, but. It's de- we're, we're supposed to dedicate. That's the covenant with God. Okay, eight day old baby doesn't know what's going on, and it's for men and women. This covenant, to God. Yeah. It's when the blood coagulates the highest in the in a person's life. Yeah. Um, now. Um, Anyway, but you dedicate all of this to God. You make God the king over all your faculties in a meditation. So I give one example of meditation. Um, 
if you don't understand the prayers, obviously using an English prayer book's important, and to study it before Rosh Hashanah. You want to go in having studied it already. And get to know its sections. And what what are those sections for? And there's probably someone teaching those. I'm happy to teach them too. How many more days we got? Today is Monday. So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You want me to teach those sections? Maybe I could. I don't know if this is such a prayer class. The um, why it's two days. I'm not going to discuss that. That's very technical. And um, and and if I finished all the technical conversation, your answer at the end would be that it should still be one day. <laughs> because the technical reason why it's two days is no longer valid with our current understanding of, of time. You know, in the cycle of the moon. So, because at one point it was necessary to do it two days. And, what? Um, we don't change it because because when the great people that did it that moved it to two days, when the great people moved it to two days, that's how these great, you know, holy, holy, holy people did it for generations and generations and generations, like generations of two dayers. And later, when we found out enough about time that we don't need two days. I mean, there's no doubt what day it is, so we can just do it on one day. Now that we're in that position, the uh, we're not going to mess with it. We're just not going to mess with it. Two days of meditation is apparently good for us. <laughs> so we're going to do two days of meditation. And we're also, don't forget, you're going to love it. So it's like... Like, again, back to the surfing analogy. It's like, they didn't say I got one day of surfing in perfect conditions. All day. With just breaks for meals, but two days. Is, which, to, for a surfer, two days is not just two days. That's like exponentially more exciting. You have two days straight of perfect conditions. So, we're happy to meditate for two days straight. That's a, that's a good thing for us. Okay. Um... The fear factor is, uh, it's really overrated. They, what happened was, the men of the Great Assembly, these great leaders, that I'll speak more about tomorrow perhaps, they created a prayer book that didn't include the fear. But later they, they found that some people just don't get it. And so someone wrote a really scary prayer. Uh, it wasn't even that long, maybe a thousand years ago or something. It does, it's not that long. I know a thousand years means a lot to other traditions. But it was like a thousand years ago. Um, does anyone know when that was? When the, when the son of Tokus got put in there? But uh, anyway, a really scary prayer got in there. And the reason that really scary prayer is in there is it kind of wakes up people sleeping in the synagogue. You know, the people are like really kind of passed out and they're just suffering. So those, you know how long ago Unasan Atokif was written? Like a thousand years ago? Maybe a little more. Oh, like 1300s? Anyway, it was put in there basically to wake you up and give you a direct relationship to who's going to live, who's going to die, who by fire, who by water, who by strangulation, like who by sword, you know. And it doesn't matter who's sleeping in synagogue at that point, you wake up right there. And the people who miss the whole day, like that becomes the meaning of their day. 
and it's created this tremendous fear factor. But meanwhile, the the rabbis who put that in the synagogue, in the prayer book did not. Have, they're not the ones who created our Rosh Hashanah liturgy. The Rosh Hashanah liturgy was created another thousand years plus earlier by these great rabbis who didn't mention anything like that. That's not part of the prayers. But unfortunately, for so many people, that that's kind of become the prayers. That fear factor. But it, it was later introduced, and it has, it has its place. I, I don't think I've ever gotten through it without crying. <laughs> I cry when I read it. You know, and but it has not usurped the actual literature of the prayer of the beauty of this meditation that we're doing. Okay, we we took a break in our meditation to like freak ourselves out. The fact that you may like die horrifically this year, you know, like that. We're we're gonna interrupt our meditation to realize we may die horrifically this year, and then we then we go right back to it. By the way, it gets like super angelic right after it. And then we go like turbo angelic because it goes right into kadusha. Right after that. So, and the low tech is just the best thing that could have ever happened to any person is to go low tech for 48 hours. Shalom, everybody. Have a beautiful day. It was a pleasure. So happy to be back. Hey, we got a thousand subscribers on. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.